I have been challenged with the wonderful task of talking to this group about prayer. Prayer. You just say the word. And already half the room feels super guilty. (laughs) Right? Like, oh, shoot. (laughs) This is not going to go well today. You're already reminded that this week you failed. This week you told somebody, I'll pray for you, and you did not pray for them. Or, Lord, I'm going to get up super early, and I'm going to spend time with you, and then you stay out till 1.30 at night playing Risk with friends this last Friday and are wrecked for the rest of the weekend. That was me. I won. Well, I split the winnings with Andrew, but it's cool. So, so there's this idea behind prayer where we go, we know we ought to, we know we should, but sometimes it's just really difficult. Or others look at prayer and they kind of raise an eyebrow and they get a little skeptical and they're like, does it do anything? I mean, you can see it on your friend's Facebook walls when there's a tragedy and people say, sending prayers, and underneath of it they'll write, instead of prayers, send your blood, as if prayers have no significant value. There's no movement. There's no God that listens behind it. So do something that's actually practical. Go to the Red Cross and donate. And so there's a lot of this angst and anxiety and maybe guilt or shame or wonder behind prayer. And it can feel a bit like a confusing process. And what are we actually even doing? What are we participating in? Does God actually hear me and listen? And as we unpack the scriptures, we see from Genesis through Revelation, the people of God praying and seeking his face. We're called to do it, whether you read these Old Testament stories or in the New Testament, literal commands of to pray without ceasing, giving thanks always, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. And there is this motivating factor of you get to commune with God and spend time with him, and we get to participate in it. But there's also this tension and this battle that goes on around prayer because we have a hard time just getting there to pray. It can feel like pulling teeth at times. So when we hear about prayer, we can be a little bit discouraged right from the get-go. We feel complacent in an area that we're supposed to be called to be on guard in. Or there's this apathy where we know that there should be a rigorous excitement about communing and spending time with God. Why? Why is it so hard sometimes to develop a rhythm a discipline, a new way to be human, a life of prayer? Why at times does it feel like more work than it's worth? It's very difficult to stay engaged. So I hope to answer some of those questions for you this morning. But what I want to do is I want to look at Colossians 4. This Paul has already declared in Colossians just the glory, the splendor, the wonder of Jesus and what he has done. He gets here to these final further instructions. And as he's talking to the church at Colossae, he says, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us 
So Paul thinks there's something behind it, some reason behind why they should be doing what they're doing. He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I make it clear which is now how I ought to speak. Paul is finishing this letter and he's finishing this charge and he's giving the church at Colossae an invitation into prayer, an invitation into this big drama of God that Ephesians 5 talks about when it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise. You're invited, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, into this divine life that he has welcomed us into. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves, what is prayer? And there'll be a slide up here from the Westminster Catechism on prayer. I like this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. Kind of gives us an idea of this purpose, or excuse me, of what prayer is. Then this purpose behind prayer, um, there's an author, his name's Paul Miller. Anybody heard of Paul Miller? He wrote a book on prayer fantastic. And he says in there, at the center of self-will is me, carving a world in my image. At the center of prayer is God, carving me in his son's image. Kind of flips this idea of really what prayer is about on its head. I'm not just coming about me, but I want to get to where God's heart God's will is in prayer. And Richard Foster, whose book that we're using as we're tracking through the really celebration of disciplines is what he has entitled his book. He writes, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Now, prayer, prayer is this. This comes from uh, John Piper. He says, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. The reality is, whether you know it or not, you are always conveying some message to God with your actions, your attitudes, with your facial expressions, with how you use your body, whether you're thinking about it or not, we're all conveying at every moment, of every second of the day, some kind of message to God. Just some kind of reality that we need to let sink into our lives. This Latin term, quorum Deo, means we ever live before the face of God. Now, what then is prayer? Prayer is intentionally coming before God. And you're coming before him to convey a message. And it's not just simply talking to God. That is a part of prayer. But in Romans, it says that Creation groans, and our bodies, they groan. How is groaning communing with God? Let me tell you how. My wife will come to me. Brett, do you want to go to the grocery store with me? Ugh. Okay, I'll leave you at home with the kids, <laughs> right? Like, I say nothing. I say nothing, and she just knows what's going on. And there's an aspect of this in prayer. Prayer is Writing, prayer is listening. We're going to look at some of these in a moment. But this idea of prayer is not just simply a one-on-one conversation with God, though it can definitely happen when you're talking, communing with him, but it's deep. It's gut-wrenching. It's your soul groaning. 
yearning, longing for him and sitting and listening before him. And so what we see in the scriptures is an encouragement for us to pray. Really, it's an invitation that God has given us. And one of the reasons it's an invitation and why it's so great is prayer actually brings a great amount of joy to God. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. Thought about that? When you sit down and you pray, when you're driving in your car and you begin to talk with God, it's his delight to hear your voice. It's his delight for you to come to him. Revelation 5, 8 talks about how it's this incense, this sweet-smelling savor that's right before him and that's sweet and good to him. Isaiah 65, 24 says, it'll also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God delights in our prayers. God's ready to listen to our prayers. What this does for us then is prayer is no longer a checklist, a drudgery that we have to get through in order to get to the good stuff of God. But it is the good stuff of God. That's what prayer is. And we see that God is not tired of hearing from you or bored of you or ready to move on from you, but he's continually calling us to commune and spend time before him. Now, that sounds great and dandy, but as humans, we know there's a struggle or there are things that defeat prayer. If you're going to participate in anything meaningful, especially anything spiritually meaningful, there's going to be a struggle that entails, even in prayer. Often for many of us, prayer is defeated before we even begin to start it. Like, I'm going to pray today. And you sit down, and just all of these thoughts of negativity begin to flood into your mind. And it's like, man, this is just a waste of my time. My past tells me that I've prayed for things before, My present tells me that God didn't answer them how I wanted them to, so my future says, don't even do it. And this can become burdensome in our hearts as we sit down to pray. It's a waste of time, or God doesn't listen to me, or maybe I'm not spiritual enough to come before him, or maybe I don't exert enough faith to sit before him. He won't listen. And these things begin to permeate our minds. And I want to sort of blow that up this morning, because we know that delights God as we come to him. And I want to talk about some really practical things of why we don't pray. Yes, those negative thoughts and all of that history, maybe it plays into it, but I think we don't pray much because we don't prepare. We don't prepare to pray. Think about this idea of preparation of prayer. Is anybody in this room, and if you haven't, you might as well raise your hand and just pretend you have, ever gone on a date? (laughs) Like... Even I scored a few dates in the past, all right? So when you get ready to go on a date, I'm telling you, there is some preparation, isn't there? I mean, you're probably brushing your teeth before you leave, maybe double-checking, flossing, uh, putting some deodorant on, perfume, cologne. There's not just this idea of getting yourself ready for the date, just physically to uh, look okay for the date, But there's also the idea of, I'm planning the date. Where are we going to eat? What are we going to talk about? 
And so you begin to think through these things in preparation for sitting across the table from somebody that you want to get to know a little bit more. Even though it's intimidating and can feel scary, there's this excited energy and emotion behind it. A lot goes into a date. Or if you're an athlete or even a mathlete, there's a lot that goes into those things. There's stretching or word problem exercises I think you do beforehand. There are preparations you take in order to get your mind ready. Maybe music you listen to to get you pumped up for the game. And so we see in life there's preparation for things that we want to succeed in. One of the reasons we don't pray much is we don't prepare much for prayer. We don't. We kind of treat it as just this passive throwaway that I'll, you know, as the shirt says, throw up a prayer just in need. I'll throw up the prayer when something comes my way. And that's how we treat this commune with God rather than actually thinking, how can I prepare my mind, my heart, my life, my body to sit before God and to talk with him? We don't pray much because I don't know if you know, we're easily distracted. (laughs) We might be the most distracted And I know some of you boomers are going to be like, no, that's your millennial problem. I've seen y'all with your phones, okay? You can be just as bad as us with those things. You know, hey, we'll just ask Google. We'll get the information real quick. We'll find out how old Aaron Rodgers is, as my dad and I were debating over over the table at lunch last week. And we're going to get the answer, right? And distraction is all around us. We're an easily distracted generation, and this is not new. Uh, John Newton, that famous hymn writer, he wrote this about prayer. The great hymn writer says that when he was trying to pray, just trying as hard as he can to concentrate and pray, he feels so weak he sometimes has the buzzing of a fly in the room that overmatches his strength to pray. So John Newton. He sits there and he's thinking, I've got this time and dedication. This is before iPhones and telephones and email and... I think any other great form of communication that exists. And even at that time, he says, it's so difficult that even when I sit down to pray, the buzzing of a fly distracts me. Feel like that? I'm going to pray today. Phone rings. Kid skins their knee. Email comes in. Everything, the tyranny of the urgent is always pressing and we're a distracted generation. Cynicism sets in to why we don't pray. To be cynical is to be distant. It causes lack of intimacy between us and God. And really the question behind the cynicism is, God, are you good? Can I trust you with my prayers? Can I trust you with my heart? God, because in the past, things haven't gone how I've wanted them to, and I want to cry out to you, but what happens when you say no? And we see this even displayed in the life of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to go to the cross. He is sitting there praying. He says, Lord, if it be your will, deliver me from this. Take this cup from me. Lord, answer this. And then he says, but nevertheless, Not my will, but your will be done. There's a submission to the will of God in that moment. When we look at Jesus, he was baptized there early on in Matthew, as we saw. 
the Spirit just descended upon him. We see these glorious moments, the Mount of Transfiguration, and he comes in the garden, having previously heard the Father speak, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. And it's crickets when he says, Lord, I need you. Father, take this from me. I think we've all had cricket moments around prayer. And we wonder, can I trust you, God, with this? A fourth reason we don't pray. You can read Ephesians 6.1 if you want, or 1 Peter 5. But there's an enemy, and he's lurking. He's prowling. He wants to devour us. But the reality is, most people are completely unaware of it. Most people don't think there's someone out there in that spiritual, unseen realm that wants to trip up our lives. And I am not a demon under every nail in the car kind of guy. We have talked about this so much. So like, I'm going to Paul's Bible study and got a flat tire. The devil didn't want me there. That's, that's not the case, okay? Construction workers leave out nails in the road. That actually happens. Sometimes even God has tragedy befall us. Think of the story of Jonah. He prepares and plans this great fish to swallow him up. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Yet God said, I'm going to use this to grab Jonah's attention. But I'm convinced that we don't pray because we really don't believe there's an enemy that wants to rip apart our children. We don't pray because we really don't believe there's an enemy that wants to tear apart your family, your marriage, your grandkids, your parents. We don't pray because we don't believe there's an enemy that wants to infiltrate in our very own church and cause division and strife. We don't pray because we don't really think there's an influence of the enemy trying to rip apart countries, influencing hate and evil and death and murder. And so we just kind of happily, passively go by in this life in a very complacent way because if we really believe these things, don't you think there'd be an urgency to pray? If we really believed that God moves through his people in prayer, don't you think we'd feel the call to fill the room with prayer? Would that not become more central in what we do as a people? We spend 30 to 40 minutes on a sermon, which is absolutely good. Preaching is excellent. Through the foolishness of preaching, God uses that to bring people into him. But how many of us prayed for 30 minutes this week? Oh, man. And we don't pray because we don't believe often that there is an enemy lurking. We don't pray because of our pride. I'm good. I got this one, God. I'll give you a little bit of a break. I'll handle it while you're handling all the other problems that everybody else has. Don't you love having a self-sufficient saint on your team, God, who can just take care of himself or herself, who can just get along and make it all work? Most of us don't pray because we're prideful. We just don't think we have any use for him or for it. I'll tell you what, let one of your kids get sick and not like flu sick, but sick sick. You'll drop everything to start praying. Lose your job, dwindle down your year in saving or six months in saving or three months in savings or two weeks in savings, whatever it is that you have there, you'll start praying real quick. When we realize that this veneer of control that we think we have over our lives is taken away, oh, you'll pray. 
you'll begin to pray. But in what we would maybe call peacetime, we're not praying because our pride says there's no need to pray. See, these are all these illusions or these ideas we have as to why we don't pray. It's not our natural bent to pray, especially as Americans. But we need to lean into that. So what I want to do is unpack that for the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm going to get you guys out of here. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn over there. Lord, teach us to pray. This is the cry of the disciples. Now, it's a really interesting ask if you think about it because these disciples for most of their lives would have grown up in synagogue. They were in religious families. Um, They would have seen how to pray. They would have had rabbis that talked to them about prayer. They had Pharisees that walked through the streets that would bump into walls praying because they were so religious and so holy and they wanted everybody to see it. They would have been instructed at different points. Um, Maybe they would have had that idea that prayer is not just taught, it's caught. So if you spend time around people that pray, then you just kind of learn how to pray. But this ask is really interesting because they say, Lord, actually teach us, tell us, describe to us what it looks like to pray. And so Jesus gives this uh, great example, and he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. I love that he uses this huge negative example of, you know all these people that are going to pray like this? They're hypocrites. Don't do it like them. This is how they pray. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. You might think of like some really, really religious person that comes to prayer group. Oh, thou holiest Lord, thy goodness has surpassed all thy blessings I could ever count, and they wax on eloquently, and you're like, yeah. And it's empty, and it's vain. It can be real. I don't doubt that. But, but typically, there's this show put on around it, and Jesus is warning against that. He says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And when your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. When you're in prayer group, keep it short and sweet. That's what Jesus says. (laughs) Right? They'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have wronged us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus ends it. He says, if you're gonna pray, this is how I want you to pray. He does two things. He actually teaches them and structures a prayer and he gives them a physical example of what it looks like to not be like. And in this section of scripture, we get this wonderful blueprint of prayer. Now, Jesus, when he talks about this, is this phenomenal teacher. And when he says, pray this, 
There is one aspect in which, you know what's so good, is daily to recite the Lord's Prayer. In Deuteronomy, you get the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And they were to recite the Shema, much like the Shema as um, one book is called The Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. This idea of the Lord's Prayer is the Jesus Creed, but it's not I'm just going to pray this and peace out on it, but I'm actually supposed to meditate on the words that are being said. Now, we're going to have an entire teaching in this series on the idea of meditation, so I can't steal too much from it. But the whole idea is to take each one of these phrases as a blueprint Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, beautiful, wonderful, good, great is your name. When I pray, I'm going to heap praises upon this great God. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to actually transcend this plane in a sense of, yes, it's hell on earth at times. And there is problems and difficulties and anger and fear and strife. But for this brief moment, I'm going to recognize the beauty and the glory of God. Hallowed be your name. Not only that, but Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, when you and I, if you grew up in traditional evangelicalism, pray that, the only way in which we think about your kingdom come is the second coming. We just hurry up and get back. Listen to this quote from Dallas Willard. When Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he does not mean we should pray for it to come into existence Rather, we pray for it to take over all points in the personal, social, political order where it is now excluded. On earth as it is in heaven, with this prayer we're invoking it in faith, we are acting it into real world of our daily existence. Listen, church, yes. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pray for the return of Jesus to set all things right, physical second coming. But when we think about this passage, it's an invitation into God in our lives now, into your broken family, into your broken workplace, into our broken social, racial structures that have been built up and displayed and put forth into the world that are wrecking havoc on all of us. And it's an invitation to your will be done And when we pray this, it's no longer, Lord, bend to my will, but I want to bend to your will. Your will be done. I come daily with a wish list. I got this newer car, and my son, he now sits behind me. And as I'm driving, he's looking, and he goes, Dad, what are you going to do about all that hair missing on the back of your head? What do you mean, son? Well, there, 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 and there. Let's pray about that, son. <laughs> I said, it'll be your problem in 40 years. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just had to share that with you. Lord, come into every aspect, every moment of our lives, little or great. Will you intervene? I sincerely told my son, let's pray about that, because that's the last thing I got going for me at this age. So, so I invite him into praying into all areas. And as Willard says, God is moving into every space. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our wrongs, our debts. 
as we forgive those who wrong us. I don't know a Christian who doesn't love to pray, forgive us our wrongs, but I know a lot of Christians who don't want to forgive those that have wronged them. Those things don't go hand in hand. Jesus continued to say in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Yikes. That's like in the same passage, everyone, okay? So, and, and Jesus' words are Jesus' words. Just, just hear that out. Forgive others. Lord, help us to do that. Bend my will to your will. Lord, provide for me. See, it starts with God. It's outer ring. It moves into, now I'm praying for your kingdom come, your will be done. So I'm going to pray for the world around me, my community, my job, my workplace. It's moving and working its way in. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. Lord, provide for me. Please, give me this day my daily bread and lead me not into temptation. Help me to live and to walk with you. This is a blueprint to prayer. It's not something that you just recite, though you should. You should know this. You should pray this. You should participate in it daily. I encourage that, the Jesus creed. But think on it. Dwell on it. And if you struggle with how do I pray, start that outward and move then inward to at the end you're saying, okay, here's, here's where I'm at, God. Help me to live in your way. Now, as we close out this morning, Paul, to that church in Colossae, he says to be watchful in prayer. To be watchful in prayer. No one stumbles into a prayerful life. You don't just kind of one day wake up and think, I'm going to just be this great person who prays all the time. No one accidentally becomes godly. It just doesn't work that way. There's this grace-driven effort that happens in our lives. There's a disciplined element in growing in godliness. There's this disciplined aspect in growing in a prayer kind of life. So if you ever see somebody who knows scripture I guarantee you they've been submitting themselves to God and spending time in those scriptures or who loves to pray. They've probably been a people that have filled their lives with much time in prayer. We need to be watchful over prayer because there's a lot of hindrances as we previously described. Prayer is a lot like falling in love. At first it's easy, then it's complicated, right? That's what Keller says. If you want to turn this crush into something wonderful, lasting, and deep, it's going to take a lot of reflection. It's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of emotional elbow grease. It's going to take a lot of work. You want to grow as a person who prays? Carve out time. Carve out time. If you don't solve the time equation, you're never going to be a person who spends time praying. If you don't look at your life and say, Lord, I'm going to give the first of my morning, the first of my lunch break, the first of my evening, right? I'm not saying there's nothing, listen, there's nothing holier about 4 a.m. than 10 p.m. Nothing holier, okay? I promise you that. I've been up at both times. But if we don't say, Lord, I'm actually going to create the time. I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to plan. I'm going to make this happen. We'll never do it. Jesus, who invites us into this praying life, showed this to us. He took time just to get away, spending 40 days in the wilderness. And you're like, I wish I could do that. Sounds great. 
Others of us, you know, it's like Jesus got away for a day or a morning, just moments, and he had this time set aside to pray. Daniel prayed three times a day. We don't know for how long, but it says there he had this regiment, this schedule that he prayed. The early church went to the temple daily to offer up prayers. The psalmist declared, I will seek your face early. There's no magic moment to pray, but create a rhythm for your life that works for you. Please, church, what time is that in your life? Put it in your phone like a lunch date. Put it in your phone like a meeting. This is just some advice on if you want to become a praying kind of person too. Pick a place. As humans, we associate so much with sight and smell and touch and feel. You know, if you go back to your hometown and you drive down a certain street, all these memories come flooding back. Or you listen to a certain song and it brings you back to a place. Our brains are wired in this way. So I want you to create this mental map around prayer in your brain. Where when I come to this place, Jesus suggested your closet. The place no one sees you. The place no one's going to hear you this very private, quiet place to sit before him. And I want you to associate that with prayer. I love to pray in my car. My commute is one of my favorite times now to just sit there and pray, pray, pray. And I've got this rhythm about it because it's a part of my life now. Find that place that you associate by the river, on a stump, and your property, on the couch with your coffee, whatever it is that you associate with prayer. So when you sit there, you go, this is, I'm, this is familiar. I'm going to pray here. Number three, listen. We never associate listening with prayer. But Soren, I hate his last name, Kierkegaard, all right? I never get it right. You can email me later. A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking but he became more and more quiet until the end he realized that prayer is listening. Foster says, listening to God is the necessary prelude to intercession or intercessory prayer. How many of you, and the first thing you do when you pray, and Michael's been kind of leading us in this the last year and a half, where he says, take 20 seconds and say, God, what do you want to speak to me? What should I pray for? How should I pray for the person that just came to me? Not, I'm going to give you directions on what to do, God, but can I hear from you first and then respond in faithful prayer? Listen, listen. May that be a part of your praying life to sit still before God, know that he is God, to hear and receive from him, and then get this, just go pray. There's no varsity prayers out there. There's no varsity prayer team and JV prayer team. Just pray. It might be little at first. It might move into more. It might be quick some days, and it might be long-lasting. But create time. Create space and place. Listen, and then go and pray. Here's why. To pray, as Foster says, is to change. Because in prayer, we become more and more like him. The closer we come to this heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. That's what we do in prayer. So here's what I want to do as I invite Dave and Alyssa back up here this morning. I want to invite you to become a person of prayer. And there's a couple of things I'd like to invite you into. Read and pray 
through the Lord's Prayer. Read and pray the Lord's Prayer. Spend time in it, maybe reciting it, and then thinking through, how can I take his prayer and begin to say, your kingdom come. Let me forgive others and move in that direction as we begin to pray and seek his face. Don't set a clock or a time limit. Listen, read it, write down prayers, and actually go and pray. I'd also invite you on Mondays from 11.45 to 12.30, 98% of the time, we are down here, I promise. We're down here praying. It's just open prayer. It's quiet, but it's a space. You see, it's this place that we associate prayer with, and our minds get in that frame of mind that when I come here, nothing special about here, but I associate it with prayer, and my heart is already prepared for it as I'm walking into it. Also, Sunday mornings, right now at 9 a.m., there could be some changes coming to that. At 9 a.m., this morning, there was probably 15 of us praying, offering praise. It's open. Come join us. It's an invitation to develop rhythms and habits of prayer. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, and for your goodness. Thank you for the invitation to come and pray and seek your face. Lord, be glorified in our actions, in our attitudes, in us as people as we pursue you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.